This is The Chicken Charge, episode 14, with CEO of All-in-One Security, Mary Parker. Today's guest is Enwandi Lawson. Lawson is founder and CEO of Reeve Productions based in Atlanta, Georgia. With an extensive history in broadcasting and an Emmy Award under her belt, Lawson has been a writer and producer for both commercial and public broadcasters. She's worked for CNN, Turner Broadcasting Systems, Public Broadcasting Atlanta, GPB, WABE Radio, and WCLK Radio. Lawson also assists organizations to elevate their communication strategies through her consulting company, The Virtues Collective. Welcome to the Chicken Charge. All-in-One Security CEO Mary Parker celebrates the success of women in the world of business and in life. Mary's own humble beginnings in rural Mississippi led her to become one of the only African-American females running a multi-million dollar security firm. She is definitely the Chicken Charge. Here now is Mary Parker. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Mary Parker, CEO of All-in-One Security, and I'm also the chick in charge, which is why we're here today with the Chick in Charge podcast. I'm excited, and I'm so very excited for our guest, but I'm first going to introduce my lovely co-host, oh, you're so Sarah nice. Smith. CEO of Solution, Solution Road. Road. <laughs> and yes. with us today, we have a wonderful guest, Nwande Lawson. And we're going to hear a little bit more from her. But I want to turn it over to my co-host and just get a few words from you today. A few words. Mary, I'm happy to be here today. And I'm so excited that Nwande Lawson is here as when we were before we jumped on the uh, on the podcast, I told you every time I meet with Nwande, I, I feel like a I'm not doing enough in the world, and I have to go and and make sure that. something happens, right? Because she's so productive, so smart, um, extreme. Like her equilibrium is just straight on, and my admiration, respect, and interest in everything about and Wandy Lawson has never ever strayed. So excellent, yeah. And, and Wanda, we want to make sure that you um, uh, tell us a little bit about your company and, and how people can find you online. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I have two companies. One's a production company, which is Rev Productions. So I've been right. working in production for a long time, and so we'll talk about that later. But I also have a uh, consulting company, so Elevating Communications. There we go. Not doing and enough again. <laughs> it's, it's called the Virtues Collective, and uh, certainly happy to talk a little bit more about how we work with companies, schools, other organizations to help them to understand that language really does count. It's not semantics, and how we communicate with each other has a lot to do with the bottom line. So we we can uh, be found online at uh, www.virtuescollective.com. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I'm super glad to be here. And thank you so much for those really, really kind words. Really it's true. feel that way as well. It's great to be at the table with several chicks in charge. Ah, oh, my God. Yes, we love it. And mm-hmm. actually, what we're doing is creating a community mm. of the chicks in charge. <laughs> it is true. It is true. <laughs> because, you know, there are lots of us out here. Absolutely. Uh, we just don't get credit in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary, what should we do with with our director, Port Wilson, because he's not a chick, but 
we we like him. <laughs> well, of course, we couldn't do a lot of these things without you, as with many other things um, <laughs> that our lovely men support us with. Absolutely. And we want to thank you for ensuring that we have everything we need here today. Thank Ooh. you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we go back to Wandy Lawson now. Um, and Wandy, do, do you want to... Um, you know, I'd like to tell, say uh, a little bit about we met at Turner Broadcasting, we and and Wandy <laughs> and Wandy was so um, wonderful to me because she hired me when I was six months pregnant, and um, to her credit, uh, I think she she really saved my life at that moment. I was working with a really abusive supervisor, and was. I was six months pregnant and trying to grow my career, keep moving ahead, and Nwandi was the person that opened that door for me. So I am, you know, she stands out as one of these amazing people that takes risks and does things for the right reasons, and, you know, we'll never forget it, never forget her. Well, Sarah, we've been friends for a long time since then, and yeah. I have to tell you, it was quite amazing to me as someone who was interviewing people. I was, you know, relatively young in in my career, and I believed at that point that the best qualified person would receive the job, and in this case, that was Sarah. So how surprised I was when I hired Sarah, and then those above me came after me with a vengeance and said, you hire, she's pregnant, and I had no right. idea that it was acceptable to discriminate against women who were going to give birth. Wow. And then <laughs> and then later on when you when you had your, you know, your two beautiful mm-hmm. girls, I'm sure that you probably experienced a couple of you know, looks or well, maybe some bumps I, in the I, road. I would say that, you know, one, one interesting thing is that by the time I did have my children, I had been running businesses for a few years. Right. So as an entrepreneur, obviously I wasn't bumping myself, and I also right. wasn't going to my clients in a position of saying would you please accept me in my, you know, in this condition of pregnancy? It was saying, well, we're going to continue the project. There you go. Here are my plans. Here's how long I will be away from this project. And here's who's going to fill in while I'm not there. But it was a it was a learning experience that was really started when we were working together. And yeah. like I said, to, to really learn that even in a large corporate environment, it was completely acceptable to discriminate against right. a pregnant person, right. even though she was well qualified. Well, you know, and, and that is a very, very good point. And with a couple of other, the couple of our other guests we've mm-hmm. shared, just touched a little bit on the discrimination practices. Uh, and certainly during our days, it was, and when I say our days, mm-hmm. a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, it was far more prevalent then than it is now. I, so. I wasn't I planning so to go down this road, but tell me, what do you see as a great difference between overt discrimination, which we are aware of, and the way it's done now with with diversity? Well, I mean, I think we have a long way to go. I think all of us, you know, would, would agree that yeah. until there's a, a real concerted effort to overcome these forms of discrimination, be they racial, be they gender, be they age-based, be they based on physical condition, until companies, until communities really become very, very purposeful, 
you're really only putting Band-Aids on. And so we've seen, I mean, and I don't by any means mean to eschew or put down the Band-Aids because we needed certain Band-Aids, certain legislative Band-Aids that we've had, certain lawsuits that have acted as Band-Aids. They've moved this process forward. But until there's actually the concerted change of mind that says actually all people are in fact equal, and we need to evaluate what it is that they're able to contribute instead of looking for means by which we can legally keep them from advancing. Very, very, very good answer. And so as you have taken your course of life mm -hmm. on your journey, what piece of advice, what piece of wisdom do you want to share with young women today mm -hmm. uh, facing business challenges, be it corporate America or as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, unity has to be the buzzword. You, you need to be part of a community. So if we're able to observe the environment in which we live in through, with the lens of detachment, sometimes it's going to become somewhat emotional, but overall, we have to look around and say, this is where we happen to be today. So who is it that I can partner with? Largely, that's going to be perhaps with other female colleagues, but in some cases, I'm hearing wonderful things about people who are finding male mentors, and they're able right. to actually advance in that way. So it doesn't become gender-based, but really as a young person coming into the workforce, I think you need to look around and say, who is it that I admire? Who is doing things, not just at the level of saying that someone has a title, but the way that they carry themselves in the workplace? Do I admire how this person is actually living their life? And can I get to know this person a little bit more? And you know, generally I, I advise people, I say, go and ask some questions because more seasoned uh, employees, managers, vice presidents, other, they're usually very eager to share right. some of their own experiences. Right. And if we can form those kind of partnerships and then look forward to the means by which we can also help others who are coming along, I, I think a lot of these um, matters that could be seen as somewhat as, uh, as obstacles, they can really be turned into stepping stones. Fantastic. Well, this is, uh, this is absolutely awesome. And with the Mary Parker Foundation, mm. our tagline is raising other generations. Uh. And it's not just a generation of, of educating students. Mm -hmm. It is also that of raising generations of entrepreneurs. Yes, of course. Because what we've found is more people start businesses based on what they know mm -hmm. and not thinking outside of the box of what do I need to really make this something spectacular. Right. And so through that raising of other generations, we're teaching them to own mm. to own the space where they're where they're claiming. Right. And it is really, really awesome. You also mentioned being in that environment with men. Mm -hmm. Well in many cases, be it education or entrepreneurship, we are sometimes the first generation of women to show up. Hmm. And it's very important for us to um, ha be able to utilize those arts of networking, arts of persuasion, and to realize that we need them as our allies and not necessarily create adversaries along the way. Oh yeah, I don't, I mean, there's no adversaries. It's everyone, to me, even in cases where it looks like a crisis, I'm just looking to see, I said, you know, that's actually going to be my new best friend. Right, when that right. person seems to be an opponent, I said, oh, no, right, no. Right. it can't yes, be possible. I have no enemies. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what a chicken charge would do. <laughs> yes, yes. And Wandi is absolutely a chicken charge. Yes, she is. Yes. 
hands down. So, you know, and with that, what I would like for you to do mm -hmm. is share with us one of your chicken chart stories. Ooh, a chicken chart story. I, I, you know, I, I will tell you one thing. When I was earning my MBA some years ago at Emory, I, I learned a lot about, even though I had had businesses for, for many years by the time I actually went and decided to study business, one of the things that I learned in that environment was the fact that, you know, a lot of bravado comes out and it sometimes um, it, it, it masquerades as leadership and that if as the chicken charge you're not equipped to deal with that in some way to demonstrate not necessarily with the same measure of bravado by the way but if you don't have some technique for demonstrating your own worth you know people will quickly crush you and so I saw in my colleagues I know when I first arrived thinking of myself and saying well I've, I've come to learn these are people who certainly have excelled in finance and accounting and other forms of business right. I come from a media background I'm here to learn but what I quickly did learn is that actually there were so many things in my own experience that these others did not have and that they weren't in the business as I was of asking questions. Right. I'm a journalist. Right. So they weren't inquisitive and therefore I had to find means by which to actually demonstrate these. And, and I always think back on this one case, the Ritz-Carlton case as it was, where my colleagues were a little bit reticent to look to my expertise in the, in the field of uh, organizational behavior because, well, they thought that was a soft skill and that it was more important to work on finance, which was a harder skill. So basically in every meeting when I tried to present I was kind of pushed to the side and and I said hmm this is very interesting so I went through and, and basically worked the whole case myself now I shared it and you know very minor changes were made and we submitted it now here's the frightening part the professor came in and ripped the class to shreds he said this was some of the worst work he had seen how did you all get into this business school and I sat there prayerfully because if, in fact, I messed up the Ritz-Carlton case, I did it alone. <laughs> Very <laughs> scary, right? Because I had taken the, the, the real chicken charge lead. Well, lo and behold, my classmate goes to get the, the presentation. We had, in fact, gotten the highest score in the group. And to my male colleagues' credit, they did post to the course conference that Inwandi was the lead on this. And that actually shifted the dynamics for my participation in that cohort and was really kind of a, a pivotal chicken charge moment of just saying, you know, actually showing your sense of being authoritative is not the same as being authoritarian, but it's very important that people do understand you have expertise. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And what you did was dispel any myth that you were there because of your gender or your ethnicity. Exactly. Right. Love it. Yep. Absolutely love it. It's so interesting when you talk about soft skills, hard skills. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, people are the uh, are the main ingredient in everything we do. Mm -hmm. So nothing that relates to human behavior or people is a soft skill. Well, we're finally learning that in business, aren't we? <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. As a result of not recognizing. Can I that ask the you? I wanted to ask you a question yes, um, about the Me Too mm -hmm. uh, and time time out. Time's up. Or mm -hmm. Time's up. Hello. Right. Thank you. Yes. Um, uh, so some of the people I've been talking to have, have been have been saying that this is a fad. Mm. This is going to go sad. away. It is sad um, when so many things that we see in the news, um, like the shooting in Parkland, Florida. Mm. Um, you know, people wait for things to die down. Um, what would you? How would you approach? Me too. Mm -hmm. um, 
in order to move it forward, keep it alive, keep it growing, so there isn't this, Mm -hmm. you know, fad mentality. Yeah, so first, I mean, I honor all people who are looking for ways to move social justice matters forward. And certainly the treatment of women is not the least of these social justice matters. Right. I, I work in media, and as you know, I mean, I started my career at CNN. I've yep. worked, and so I have to say I have not been at all dismayed by this, but I have been delighted that it's coming to the surface because, frankly, 100% of women who have been to work probably can hashtag me too. Right. Right? So how each individual decides to navigate that I think is entirely personal and I respect people's decision. However, as a social justice matter, the treatment of women in the workplace, I don't think it's going to be pushed aside because in part we have access to so much media now. It's not that we have to look for a gatekeeper. We don't have to worry about whether CNN or MSNBC or Fox News thinks this is a big story for it to continue. And groups of people are becoming more connected to that idea. So the story doesn't die down just because the news cycle has. Uh, you see the students in, in Parkland. Yeah. They are moving yes, this they in are. a direction yes, that are. it wouldn't were there not access to such social media channels yeah. as they have and that they don't they feel very powerful in using their voices. They're amazing. Their yeah, uh, they are absolutely They're amazing. amazing. And also, you know, the women who formed the Women's March last yes. year. Ooh. I had an opportunity to meet her in January. Mm. She is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. So what we're realizing today is, you know, is, is time out for just talking about things. Mm-hmm. It's not a monumental moment, mm-hmm. but we've got it. We're establishing more movements. Yes. And right. The unity right. that you referred to earlier yeah. is certainly being displayed in exactly. all of these matters. And, and, and what needs to build now? is the study component. So one of the things that I teach people is about how to learn in in organizations, right? So we have to study our challenge, figure out where it is that we can learn about the most current and the innovative ways to address it. Then we have to consult about what action we're gonna take. We have to take the action, come back and reflect on the action, right? So I think the, the, the piece that will keep this and other social justice movements for, moving forward is the capacity of people to actually study though. And that's one that's not well developed because right now You're people right. do, they're very excited about something. And if they can tweet it very quickly, they will. Right. But then I'm, I'm encouraging, come back and look at what has happened a generation before you. And let's make a plan to take this to the next level. Love. Excellent. I love that. Love that. Yeah. Thank you, Inwandi. Mm. That's important. I really wanted to hear your opinion on that. Well, thank you yeah. for yeah. asking That was very, very good. You know, we sent you a list of questions to think about Mm -hmm. for the podcast today. And Mm -hmm. one was, your answer was quite intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was about your first job Ah, with your dad and his law firm. That's right. Share that with all of us because that was very, very interesting. It's a very funny story because, of course, you know, my, my, my father and mother were very, you know, supportive in whatever I wanted to do for the most part. However, there was one class that my father forced me to take and it was typing so in seventh grade (laughs) I wanted to take home ec my father said no you cook at home why would you go to class and he forced me okay so there I was and still using a manual typewriter from friends you can figure out how old I am so (laughs) I went she's very young (laughs) and pretty And, and thereafter that next summer my father employed me in the law office 
and you know typing briefs changing out pocket parts in the in the law library at his office and i remember that i would say this is just really not fair how is it that you you know kids are supposed to be at camp you know and you know, i did go to some swimming and so forth but he said you know our, our friends the lees this is a chinese family in our neighborhood i grew up in california you see how they run lee's kitchen Everyone in the family contributes to making sure that Lee's Kitchen runs well, and as they grow up, they go to college, and everyone in the family supports them in doing that. So, too, we support each other in our businesses at home. So, you know, earlier you mentioned that some people don't have, like, necessarily a role model, but I actually do. Both of my parents are very entrepreneurial, and even my grandparents and so on and so forth. So the notion that people work together as a family and that they work on making sure that one or more businesses are successful, that was something that my father helped me to learn very well beginning when I was 12 years old working in his law office. That is that is amazing that you would share that. And, mm-hmm. you know, because unlike you, though we came from a background of entrepreneurs, they weren't aware of it. Ah. My grandparents weren't aware. Ah. Whereas no one was trained to keep the business going. Mm-hmm. Right. Same with my dad. My parents were uneducated. Mm-hmm. However, my mother, my mm-hmm. mother had that mother wit. And yes. she spoke up for her children and mm-hmm. said to her dad when he introduced the notion of his girls going to the cotton field. Mm-hmm. Our mother was very emphatic and she says, oh no, mm. not my girls. Mm-hmm. They will go to school and get an education and choose the career fields they want. And today we are so proud of our mother for that, mm-hmm. uh, that she now has children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren gracing this earth in all fields. And that's the real chicken charge, right? That is the real chicken <laughs> charge. Absolutely. My grandmother was first, then my mother. There you go. But you get it. Yes. Absolutely. Well, this absolutely. has been a fantastic time with you today. Oh, thank you so and much. We hope you'll come back. Oh, would you please. Very yes, yes. This you have such a story. And next time we're just gonna get you going and you know, just let you share with the world your experiences and the value that you bring. To, um, to our society at such a time as this. It's incredible. Well, thank you both, because the same applies to both of you. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Pleasure, and, pleasure. Yes, and before we sign off, I just want to say to you, congratulations. You are very much aware of the chick in charge. <laughs> Subscribe to The Chick in Charge at thechickincharge.com. Get a free download of Mary Parker's Tips for Success, tips that'll make short work of some of today's most challenging issues facing female business owners. Thanks for listening to The Chick in Charge.